that kind of activity and letting us know. So to you, thank you. And to my audience, think about what you've heard today and share it with the people around you. And the previous program was Economic Update with Professor Richard Wolf heard Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and WBAI.org online. It's 7 p.m. Stay tuned for Off the Hook. We're sorry. The number you have reached, 99.5 WBAI, is now off the hook. Good evening to our right. Vernon is off the, off the hook. Emmanuel Goldstein here with you on this Wednesday evening, joined tonight by Kyle. Yes, right here. And out in Skype land, we have Rob T. Firefly. Good evening. And uh, where's Gila? She's not there. She is uh, battling the best that the MTA has to throw at her. She'll be here as soon as she can. Okay, wow. Uh, okay, uh, and of course, um, uh, Alex is um, at an event that begins at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday because he has a knack for doing that. So it's just the three of us right now. Hopefully it will be four soon. Uh, and we are not on next week, so keep that in mind. Overtime follows at 8 p.m. with um, uh, the ability to call us and convey anything that you wish to convey. Uh, but for now, we're going to update you on various things going on in the world of technology and hackers and, and, and various, uh, various other developments. I guess this was inevitable uh, that this would happen. Um, <laughs> it's a scandal. Of course it's a scandal. What did they expect? Um, you might have heard the name uh, Drew Ortiz. 
You know that name, Kyle? No? Um, he was a writer at uh, Sports Illustrated. I say was, because he's no longer a writer at Sports Illustrated. Um, but if you were lucky enough to read one of uh, Drew's articles... May I ask what is going on out there? Is that your door, Rob? That that is that is our front door, and uh, Gila is on her way in here. Sounds like someone stepped on a cat. Wow. We 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 have this door on loan from the Adams family. All right. Um. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. You threw me way off. Um. Let me just recover from this. Okay. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to set a tone here for for Drew Ortiz because I want to talk about him. All right. I, I know. It's a little controversial, but I'd like to talk about Drew. This is the bio you might have read had you read one of Drew's articles. Um, while he was a writer over at Sports Illustrated, uh, Drew has spent much of his life outdoors and is excited to guide you through his never-ending list of the best products to keep you from falling to the perils of nature. Nowadays, there is rarely a weekend that goes by where Drew isn't out camping, hiking, or just back on his parents' farm. Now, why, you might ask, is Drew no longer writing for Sports Illustrated? Well, sadly, Drew isn't doing a whole lot of much these days because, how do I say this? Drew never existed. Drew was not human. Drew was not, period. Uh, (laughs) He was... A figment of artificial intelligence. And come on, we all knew this was going to happen at some point. He was an AI-generated author published by Sports Illustrated, uh, according to a person involved with the creation of the content who um, asked to be kept anonymous for for some reason, or maybe that's uh, a bit of AI as well. Um, but um, this, uh, this, this really is um, kind of stunning. Um, Yeah, uh, there was a photo of the person at the bottom of the page that was allegedly Drew. Um, But that particular photo was actually um, a a photo that you could buy uh, as as, as a headshot. Um, I think there was a a description. I'll I'll try to track down the description of of, uh, what that person was. But yeah, uh, they had somebody writing stories. They had artificial intelligence writing stories. Uh, The content is absolutely AI-generated, said a second source, no matter how much they say that it's not. Um, Now, various uh, journalists have reached out to um, to Sports Illustrated, um, which uh, it's owned by the Arena Group. Um, All the AI-generated authors disappeared from Sports Illustrated's uh, site without explanation. In fact, there's more than one, apparently. Now, the writing often sounds like it was written by an alien. Uh, One of Drew's articles, for instance, warns that volleyball can be a little tricky to get into, especially without an actual ball to practice with. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true, but um, why would you say it like that? Uh, So, um, yeah, uh, Sports Illustrated. Did they think they could get away with it? Did they think nobody would notice? Did they think that this was... A, a good idea. It, it, it marks a staggering fall from grace for Sports Illustrated, which in past decades won numerous national magazine awards for its sports journalism and 
published work by literary giants ranging from William Faulkner to John Updike. Really? In Sports Illustrated? I had no idea. Uh, well, the article I'm reading from comes from Futurism.com, and um, it's quite a read. <laughs> I, I assume this was written by a human, too. Um, and it wasn't just uh, author profiles that the uh, magazine repeatedly replaced. Each time an author was switched out, the post they supposedly penned would be reattributed to a new persona with no editor's note explaining the change in byline. Uh, none of the articles, it's like, um, uh, this is some kind of dystopian nightmare I'm reading here. None of the articles credited to Ortiz or the other names contain any disclosure about the use of AI or that the writer wasn't real, uh, though they did eventually gain a disclaimer explaining that the content was created by a third party and that the Sports Illustrated editorial staff are not involved in the creation of this content. Oh, but I think they were. <laughs> Maybe not the editorial staff, but somebody at Sports Illustrated certainly was involved in this. Rob? Um, you mentioned the uh, the profile picture for Drew Ortiz, and uh, that also is a picture of someone who does not exist. Um, it is for sale on a website called uh, generated.photos, which sells auto sells AI-generated photos of people who don't exist for people who want a picture of a person for whatever reason. You know, maybe you're making an ad or something, and uh, you want a picture of a person, but you don't want to pay an actual model. You don't want to get personality rights to an actual model. You just generate a face um, of a person who doesn't exist. And Drew Ortiz and his non-existent compatriots, who were also writing for Sports Illustrated, uh, very many of them, their faces were for sale on this website. Uh, Drew Ortiz was for sale uh, on a page which describes the photo as neutral white young adult male with short brown hair and blue eyes. Um, and, you know, if you know Drew Ortiz, that's him all over. So, yeah, not only did the work not exist or the, the worker, the writer not exist, but their faces didn't exist either. That is that is simply incredible. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, now, Rob, you found this story. Uh, has there been much um, much uh, in the way of uh, fallout from this? It, it doesn't really seem like it. Um, after Futurism published this story, um, a spokesperson from Arena Group uh, provided a statement that uh, said they blamed a contractor. And even then, they didn't they didn't uh, admit that this was AI generated content. They just said, "Oh, uh, someone was writing this under pseudonyms, under pen names, which we don't allow." And uh, so. They they uh, they were playing like that was the problem with the content rather than the fact that it was not written by a person. However, I um, just was searching, you know, Sports Illustrated AI, and apparently there was a huge staff meeting yesterday that did not go well. Um, there's a lot of fallout about this, and the owners who apparently also own Parade Magazine, which, you know, if I'm looking for good journalism, I'm going to Parade Magazine – and um, it, nothing is looking good here, I have to say. And they, uh, executives said, I'm not reading for the Washington Post, executives said that it was a one-time mistake with an AI company and they had already broken off their relationship with Advon before the Futurism story was published. Um, I, this is such a mess. So, it, you, people say AI is the future. 
I think the future looks a lot like a car crash, if that's the case. Well, yeah, but the thing is, um, uh, you can't blame AI for this. Blame the humans for doing Who thought this was a good idea to, to just inject an AI author into Sports Illustrated and assume nobody was going to notice? It seems like oh. something they were doing for the website, and it's a divergent sort of management choice to, to, to profit off of traffic, right? Yeah, and they're, so they're saying that Advon assured us that all the articles in question were written and edited by humans. Um, so about the volleyball story, <laughs> I mean, you know, gems like that. Volleyball is challenging if you don't have a ball. Uh, yeah, where would I go to get that kind of information? It's just smacks of of the uh, type of um, the type of practices where there um, various uh, conglomerates or, or interest groups that are buying a lot of these media outlets and not actually managing them. They're managing them for profit and implementing things like this where you don't have to have uh, the kind of overhead and, and, and just shrinking the, the institution and riding off of the name recognition. People might associate uh, some of those authors with the magazine, but this isn't the same kind of content. They're just sort of using the kind of interest the magazine generates to um, get people to spend time with these kinds of articles. Uh, yes, Rob. And Arena Group uh, has been doing this before. They got caught back in February uh, publishing AI-generated health advice um, at the magazine Men's Journal. And uh, Futurism, uh, the site, also reported on that and finding that its first story was riddled with errors, and that was about health information. So the magazine had to uh, um, you know, put out a massive correction about it. And when you're dealing with uh, something like sports, uh, you know, things and, you know, uh, obscure stuff about volleyball or whatever. Maybe it's not a life or death thing, but if you're putting forth what you claim is health info and it's written by robots that don't know anything about humans, uh, that's dangerous. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, you have to wonder. Um, uh, I mean, we've had Bard on the show a couple of times. Uh, Bard is out tonight too, by the way. Has other engagements, but uh, we've we've always let people know when artificial intelligence is speaking to us. Um, we don't try and pass it off as as one of us or somebody, um, uh, you know, if we do, it's in good fun, but, but we don't try and replace one of us with uh, with artificial intelligence, right, we, well, Yeah, no, we wouldn't. Yeah. Well, we, by the way, we let uh, Copilot hang out, but uh, it's not allowed to speak. Yeah, it's muted. It, well, it can't. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I don't know. Uh, these are just such bad ideas. What do we do now? Do we have some kind of um, uh, uh, way of detecting this? Are we on the lookout for every single publication now uh, to see if somebody is is um, is using this technology as a lazy way to get around using humans? I think the only uh, the only weapon against this is trying to teach people sort of the reading comprehension skills that uh, it would take to read uh, the the AI-generated content and recognize it as low-quality nonsense that's not really saying anything. Um, but uh, that, that uh, I think, is, you know, I, I would like to hope that uh, we can have a world in which that is the norm, maybe people being educated in schools about this sort of thing, um, media literacy being uh, at the forefront of education. But uh, in 
I, I, I don't know how much I can hope. All of these things that you listed are things that we've been trying to get people to do for decades. And there's always some kind of resistance against becoming more literate and, and you know, uh, more educated and all of that. Uh, and now uh, we're seeing the results where, okay, if if you won't write, this computer will do it, this artificial intelligence will do it, and we'll, we'll be seen as human, and, and God knows what, what will happen to the rest of us. It's also just the sheer greed behind it, because there are tons of writers out there who would love to get a byline in something like Sports Illustrated or even SportsIllustrated.com. Not anymore. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> no, maybe maybe not. But uh, like, there are people who would write for less than their worth. There are so many writers out there struggling for jobs, struggling for work, and um, instead they're going to give it to a robot who can do it for a few cents worth of electricity. And the product is crap, but uh, does that matter anymore? Uh, it's uh, it's uh, yes, Gila. I think there's also something to be said about the uh, the kind of injection of capitalism and everything needing to be entrepreneurial producing in this way. I, I found a different article talking about other places that have done this, right? CI did it this past winter. Excuse me. Let me try that again. CNET <laughs> did it this past winter. Gannett Newspapers tried to do something this summer where they had – AI writing articles about high school sports. Oh, that must have been a real, <laughs> a real nightmare. Probably Apparently, it was an utter disaster. Invented students that didn't exist. I'll bet sports that didn't exist. Maybe absolute mess. But you know, people are saying if you're more upfront about admitting that AI is part of it, um, I think that's huge. You know, be clear. But also, if you know, Sports Illustrated, which was a bastion of not just sports journalism, but journalism had wonderful writing. And, you know, since Time Inc. went under and it was sold off for parts, and now it's a once it's a monthly magazine and a website, and people are, the arena group, I think, is really trying to trade on the goodwill of people remembering what Sports Illustrated was, and they're just trying to pump out content. You know, when everything, we talked about this before. Remember when I was like, oh, the ring doorbells, if Amazon wants streaming content, they should just, license the ring doorbell stuff because that's what we're leading to. Mm -hmm. Everything doesn't need to be a content machine. And I think that the idea that content needs to be always, always, always has led to, like, people can't necessarily maintain that kind of schedule. And I think that recognizing the humanity in who we are and what we do is maybe the only way to push back against AI in certain situations. Yeah, well, we're going to keep an eye on this for sure. Uh, boy, what a, what a, what a nightmare and, um, uh, funny, but, um, tragic at the same time. So we'll, uh, we'll certainly be, uh, filling people in. Uh, also, um, a story we reported on last week, uh, that, um, we have some updates on. That was the, um, the terrible fire that took place out east, uh, at, uh, Wardenclyffe, uh, the, um, uh, Tesla Science Center out in Shoreham, Long Island. Uh, was hit by a fire on the eve of Thanksgiving, and um, it's uh, um, still recovery uh, is, is in process. Um, we have on the phone with us right now, actually, uh, the executive director over at the uh, Tesla Science Center, Mark Alessi. Mark, are you there? I'm here. Thanks. Thank you for having me on. Our, uh, our, our greatest condolences for, uh, for having this happen, and um, we're just thankful uh, that nobody was was seriously injured. I understand uh, one one fireman uh, broke his hand and is is, is recovering, uh, but uh, nobody else uh, was injured. And of course, great thanks to the uh, Rocky Point Fire Department and all the other ones 
that responded, uh, I believe the Shoreham Fire Department probably, and um, can you tell us? There, there, go ahead. There were 11, 11 departments altogether and close to 200 firefighters that, that battled the fire throughout the night. You know, they, they came at 4.30 p.m. Uh, they had it out by midnight, but unfortunately, you know, you, we, we couldn't go into the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, you know, it was unstable already, and so there was embers that lit up again. It lit up again at 2.30. They came back. It lit up again at uh, 7.30. They came back, and then finally it was out. But they just fought throughout the entire night and, and into the morning uh, until the final fire was finally out. Wow. Um, any idea how something like this happened? No, it's, it's under investigation. I mean, the, the, obviously the best news that came back was it wasn't intentional. It wasn't arson. It's, you know, our mind did go there that it was a possibility. Uh, and, and luckily, from where they think it started, it's not indicative of somebody doing it on purpose. So, but they're still investigating the, the exact cause. All right, we'll cross Thomas Edison off the list then of uh, suspects. Oh, uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, obviously we have to uh, rebuild. Um, uh, first of all, what was lost? Uh, I, I, I read something that, that filled me with hope that nothing uh, um, uh, priceless as far as notes and, and uh, historical uh, relics were lost. Is that, is that correct? That's right. There's nothing being stored in the building. Um, so we, you know, we, we've been preparing to do work in in the lab building we're currently doing demolition on site uh to free up the lab building and uh so it's been an abandoned building for decades and there there was nothing in there of of you know like archives or anything like that uh what was lost um a, a good part of the building uh you know so the building's still standing the core of it is built by brick you know, it was designed by Stanford White, famed New York City architect, mm-hmm. not the turn of the 20th century, one of Tesla's best friends. It was built right. Bricks are really strong. It withstood the fire. But, you know, bricks are obviously fireproof. Um, but there was a lot of, you know, antique woodwork inside, um, steel girders that we were planning on reusing that were historic to Tesla's time. Mm-hmm. All that's gone. The entire roof is gone. And, uh, you know, now our emergency is trying to, protected against the elements because now that the weather is getting colder, if water gets, you know, into some of the crevices of the brick and then freezes, that, that becomes problematic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I understand there's um, a, a new um, um, a crowdfunding um, campaign underway, and the goal is $3 million. Is that right? That's right. Um, you know, the history of this organization, uh, it was a small community group that wanted to save this World Historic Site, and um, we ended up doing a crowdfund, you know, over 10 years ago with Matt Inman from Oatmeal.com, and uh, it set a world record at the time on Indiegogo. We raised 1.4 million, six weeks, 108 countries, 33,000 donors, and we never fathomed that we would have to go back to the crowd again. Uh, you know, we were doing, you know, more typical philanthropic fundraising uh, to try to finish the lab, but with this fire. Um, one, it's a necessity, but two, we were hearing from, you know, our supporters from around the world that they wanted to help. So we're, we launched crowdfund number two, and this is to, to get us at least back to where we were, you know, a week ago, where we were in a pretty good spot in, in terms of funding and, and, and construction, but we still had six million more to raise on a $20 million project. 
Now this is about three million dollars in damages. So we're, we're, we now have to raise nine million to finish the project. But the, the crowdfunding is just trying to get us back to where we were a week ago. Wow, um, that is staggering and um, uh, quite a challenge. But as you said, you met the challenge before. You have support from all around the world. I think right now the challenge is getting the word out to all those people. Is it, is it possible um, that the news hasn't spread yet of, of the challenges you're facing? Uh, well, there's still, you know, I, I still get emails and phone calls as people are still, you know, it, it's actually interesting to watch uh, consumption of news cycles. You know, we're a week out, and some people, even in, you know, my region here, you know, on Long Island or in the New York metro area, are, are just hearing about it. So um, I, I have a little bit more of uh, the respect for the need to continue to get that message out for, you know, for quite some time to make sure it resonates. Well, let's let's get the info out to anybody who might be uh, uh, listening to this and is only here for a few minutes. Um, how do people get to that that um, that crowdfunding site? So uh, there, there's two ways. If if you're familiar with Indiegogo, it, it's launched on the Indiegogo platform. That's where historically where we did our first crowdfund. And uh, if you want to just go to our website, TeslaScienceCenter.org, uh, all the information is there uh, to get involved. Hi, uh, I'd just like to ask if you could describe some of the plans for the um, the ultimate uh, restoration that were originally in place. Uh, I know that you were basically changing some of the structure, but can you just describe what was what was the vision uh, prior to this, and and what you're trying to get back to as a baseline? So, our, you know, the, the overall vision is to restore Tesla's historic lab. And, and open it as a museum and science center. Uh, the lab building itself is the crown jewel of, of the property. It's a 16 acre property. He originally had 200 acres, but little by little it was sold off, uh, after he, uh, left the property. Um, there's about 100,000 square feet of other derelict industrial buildings on site, uh, some of which are, you know, abutting up to the lab, and that's what we're, you know, in the process of demo, demo, demolishing so we can get to the lab building to do the historic uh, restoration. Um, but we know that I mean, we might need other buildings on site down the road. Uh, our goal is is to not only celebrate the past and, and just tell Tesla's story, but we want to celebrate the innovator that he was. This was somebody that believed in innovation for the improvement of humanity and wasn't concerned about money necessarily. And there's a lot of stories around that. Um, he gave up fortunes to try to make sure that we had access to all thing current electricity. And um, so we want to celebrate that creative spark and, uh, and try to inspire others to, you know, be inventors and, but for the right reasons. And so we'll celebrate the past. We'll, we'll explain the present and uh, we'll try to, give a view into the future on the site. Now, we've been to a, a number of events um, at the site out in, uh, in, in Shoreham, uh, and uh, we're always amazed by the strong response, uh, particularly among young people. A lot of kids are very interested in this. What do you attribute that to? Why are kids so interested in, in uh, Nikola Tesla? So, I mean, one, I think uh, that creative spark inspires kids, whether it's Tesla or other inventors. There's actually data that suggests, and, and you can just try it on your own, 
ask a five-year-old going into kindergarten what they want to be when they grow up. It's usually four jobs, and one of them is definitely they're inventing something to solve a problem. And by the time they hit junior high, that number goes from 95% down to 8%. And it's because many kids aren't exposed to, you know, that those elements and, and those tools. Uh, when they come to a site like ours, um, we nurture that creative spark, and it's something that uh, they really gravitate towards. And that's why something like this is so important. Ninety-five percent to eight percent in that short period of time—that that is staggering. Yeah, I, yeah I, it's, a, it's a big drop off. I, I so identify, and I, I hear what you're saying with that, and I'm glad that that you're pointing that out because it, it is something that it becomes um, cloistered or private, and and uh, uh, something that's a, a process mm-hmm. that. Uh, we commodify in, in different institutions and sharing, sharing knowledge is something we're all about here. We like, we like people to explain things and to try to, um, get complex ideas out there so that a lot more people understand them. And this is an area that where, where, um, education and, and, uh, the real world and, and, and various things that aren't that well understood sort of collide. So we're just really happy that you're doing this. Thank you so much. Now, uh, you guys were at the Hope Conference last year, and people still talk about your presence there. And I I hope that uh, we're able to do something again um, uh, next year when we have our next Hope Conference. In fact, we're having it the weekend of Nikola Tesla's birthday, which is kind of interesting. Uh, So it's in July uh, next year? July 12th through 14th at St. John's University. So... Uh, maybe we can uh, we can we can do something in, in collaboration. I really would like that, or uh, definitely do something to yeah. help you guys, because uh, well, we love the whole conference. Uh, that's definitely our crowd, and uh, definitely want to be there. And maybe we could do something around Tesla's birthday. Uh, yeah, we'd love to collaborate on that. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Uh, Mark, any anything else you want to share with our listeners? No, I, I would just say, listen, this was this is an amazing project. It was a very dark week for us. And really what got the staff, the board, and, and, and some of our core volunteers through was the outpouring of support, you know, not, not only through the crowdfund, but people reaching out, letting us know how much this, this, this project means to them is giving us the energy to carry on. And so I just want to thank everyone that's, uh, been, that's been reaching out and, and cares about this site. Mark, could you give us the contact info and the URL for uh, the Science Center? It is uh, Tesla. ScienceCenter.org. Okay, and that goes directly to the crowdsource, uh, the crowdfunding. Uh, it's it, it's not direct, but it's on that homepage that you click the link. Got it. And uh, if if you're out there listening uh, and and you're able to contribute, great. If you're not, please spread the word so that more people can find out about this throughout the planet. Uh, it's um it, it's it's hugely important, and what you guys are doing is is such good work. Really needs to be supported and built. And I can hardly wait for the day when. When it's done, when it's ready, you know. We're uh, welcoming you on site. How, how do you how do you see that day? What 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 do you think will be happening? This, all the buildings will be. It, it is going to be one one hell of a celebration. So, our goal is is still to open the first building, uh, which is a smaller building on site, just so that we could be open every day to anybody that wants to visit and get a little taste of what this site is going to be. It's kind of the appetizer. And our goal has been to finish the lab building by the end of 2025. We knew it was going to take a, a, a long time just because it's a major historic restoration. But uh, obviously we're reassessing 
how far this damage is going to put us behind schedule. I'm hoping it's not too, you know, uh, not too much of a disruption. Um, and so our goal is still to try to get done by the end of 2025 and yep. be able to welcome people into the lab building. I'm sure uh, Nikola Tesla himself had some dramatic setbacks in his pursuits, and uh, perhaps this is a parallel of sorts. He had he actually had fires in his labs in New York City that set him back. One in particular, one on Houston Street, Houston Street. I'm sorry. Um, and uh, so we we draw a lot of parallels to the struggles he had even before this fire. I've traveled the world trying to raise money for Wardenclyffe, uh-huh. just like he did. Wow! And uh, you you were one of the key people involved in getting this off the ground as well, if I'm not mistaken. I, I was involved very early. Uh, we, we had a driving force in our original board president, uh, Jane Alcorn. She's still involved. Uh, she's the one that pulled me in. I was in the state legislature at the time. I consider myself a tech entrepreneur. I have to. Uh, I hope I'm not embarrassing myself when I say <laughs> at that time I didn't know who Nikola Tesla was. I had to be educated. But once I knew the impact he had on our lives, I became an evangelist and I could never shake this project. I had to be involved. Well, there are so many people right now who do not know who Nikola Tesla is, and they're going to learn it through your organization, through through the amazing center that you guys are going to be building. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark, and um, best of luck. We'll uh, continue to keep people updated. Uh, we'll talk about hope. We'll talk about the future. Thank you so much. All right. Hope take care. Here. Good night. Bye. Mark, let's say the um, executive director of the Tesla Science Center out in Shoreham, Long Island, who uh, were hit by a massive fire last week and are rebuilding. And um, fortunately, fortunately, uh, nobody uh, was, was uh, seriously injured and, um, and nothing irreplaceable was, was, was lost. Uh, but buildings were damaged and things will have to be um, fixed. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah. Um, I just want to encourage folks, uh, if you're looking straight for the crowdfunding campaign to to help with the rebuilding efforts, you can go to Indiegogo.com and just search Tesla Fire and it comes right up. And uh, you can see where it is now and how much more help they need. And, uh, and yeah, all the info you need is there. I'm just really glad they're... Um forging ahead and that this this was saved in the first place through the public's efforts through the public's interest worldwide if this if this hadn't uh, had so much support early on it would be some lost commercial property and not something that is being preserved that is um still somewhat natural there's still trees there if you ever get a chance to visit uh it's it's really in a a spectacular place they host a lot of events Often at nighttime, you can see stars. I think, you know, we've seen like the space station. We saw the there. space station. We were there once. We saw the space station. Everyone was, was transfixed on the, the Tesla well, giant we, Tesla. We were coil. trying to get people's attention, saying, "Hey, look, it's a space station!" But everybody was was fixated on the Tesla coil, and you know that's understandable. <laughs> it really is awesome. But it's there, and people will be able to have more access to it in the future. So, just I want to uh, uh, emphasize the incremental steps and all these little things. They end up becoming, yeah, small problems along the way, but that they're there in the first place is such a gift that, I remember that we've given to ourselves. showing you the place uh, years ago. Maybe it was about 10 years ago, maybe more. Uh, and uh, back then, uh, it, there was just this, this wish that the Tesla Science Center could be resurrected. Um, and uh, it was, um, I, I believe it was a, a, a photography um, a factory or something. 
Yes, it was uh, um, Kodak or one of those companies. I want to say uh, Fuji. Okay, well, whatever. Know. They they uh, you know they had their thing. They abandoned it, uh, and and there was there was this um, uh, just a guard that was watching the property at night. And I found in, um, uh, in, in in the woods a notebook that one of those guards had written. And it literally, it was like something straight out of The Shining. It just, every hour it would say uh, uh, 8 o'clock and no activity, 9 o'clock, no activity. And uh, pages and pages and pages of no activity. It was really kind of spooky. And I have it somewhere. So that'll go up on eBay. That, that artifact has been saved, mm-hmm. yes. But, yeah, future, uh, I, I, I think there's a bright future ahead. And... Um, uh, look forward to the challenge. I just love the idea. It's going to be standalone building that that people can can help to to this moment, <laughs> and it's needed. And uh, the, the the vision of this interpretive center is going to live on. Well, uh, if you want to write to us, our email address is oth at twenty six hundred dot com. We're off the hook. We're on the air every Wednesday from seven to eight p.m. Not next Wednesday though. Taking a week off next Wednesday. Uh, overtime follows at 8 p.m. That's where you get a chance to call us and um, um, be part of the chat on YouTube. Uh, follow the link that's over on the 2600.com webpage or just go to Channel 2600 on YouTube and you'll find us that way. Here's a letter that we got from somebody who uh, wrote in, a longtime listener from over in the U.K. Thanks for keeping it going. But more so, thanks for letting Ron and Mary take the full time on the show last week. <laughs> We're talking about the, um, uh, the the couple in um, in Wisconsin that uh, own fifty thousand phones and are looking to unload them, uh, and uh, have quite a story. And it was, it was just fascinating. It took up the entire hour easily. Um, continuing with the letter here, uh, telling their story without interruption, uh, holding your questions must have been hard. Well, yeah, we were waiting for Ron to take a breath. <laughs> he just had so much to say. <laughs> Uh, sharing such love and interest with Ron and Mary on our behalf. Best episode ever. Uh, and uh, please uh, keep checking in on them. Um, uh, Tayeth uh, continues saying, uh, maybe we've got some other listeners who would volunteer to assist their operation uh, purely for the stories and antique curiosities, along with saving a few pieces of history. Uh, sadly, a bit far for me. Yes, being in the UK, I guess uh, it is a bit far. But worth it. Worth it if you if you uh, hop on over and, and check out the place. Uh, but yes, Funko uh, Inc. was the company, and uh, I think FuncoInc.com is the uh, website, and um, the website itself, wow, uh, looks like it's from the early 90s, but it works, all right? It works, and it's great. So uh, yeah, that's just another another episode of Off the Hook that people seem to enjoy. Absolutely. It was, it was just, uh, it was wonderful to be able to talk with him, and it's uh, all these all these efforts by people who have these sort of niche projects going on that uh, you know they might not even have the first uh, inkling of how much interest there actually would be from people out there, and the ability to get that word out is something that I really treasure about uh, producing the show with you guys, and it, it's uh, it's it's a privilege to be able to help uh, make it happen. It was a great episode. Did you want to tell the story about the the Street View image of of their building? Uh, well, no, actually, um, uh, we, we, uh, we tweeted this. Did you get, you captured it? It's, it's hard though with, with the way Twitter is now. Uh, I, I was hoping the, the image would show up and it does just a link. So you had to click on the link to see it. Okay. But if you use Street View and you find their, their location in, uh, was it Galesville, Wisconsin? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, uh, you find the, the phone co building, uh, you'll, you'll see an impressive looking building in a town. Uh, and um, part of that building is a payphone 
where the the receiver is just dangling. And it's the best. <laughs> it's the best picture on Street View I think I've ever seen, and just so perfect. Particularly if you see and uh, have edited a whole lot of payphone photos over the years, uh, definitely are our hearts warmed at the sight of uh, an off-hook payphone. Now, there was an article in the Times uh, this past week uh, about the uh, NYPD and how they're upgrading their, their radio system. Uh, you, ever, you ever listen to uh, police scanners? You ever listen to the, the cops uh, responding to calls? It's interesting stuff, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done that. I spent many a night uh, listening to things going on, uh, various uh, how they talk to each other, how they respond, the codes that they use, uh, the 10-4 and 10-20 and all that. They want you to stop doing that. And the reason they want, well, <laughs> we'll get into the reason in a second, but the method they're using is encryption. They are encrypting the channel so that the public will not be able to tune in anymore. This is something that's going on all throughout the country. And, um, yeah, it's got a lot of people crying foul. Uh, elected officials, civil rights people, just uh, hobbyists of all sorts. Uh, because any kind of uh, accountability goes out the window uh, if, if cops are talking to each other and nobody is able to, um, to monitor what it is they're actually saying or doing. Uh, basically, whatever they say will go. And that is extremely disturbing. And if you think how many times in the past... We've looked at logs of the conversation, thinking of the L.A. riots with Rodney King and all that. Uh, I'm thinking of the uh, RNC in New York City. Um, those words, the things that they say, and many times they're inappropriate, many times they're racist. Um, we need to know that. And to simply say that because of security, we don't want anybody to be able to hear what it is we're saying, what it is we're doing, that is extremely unhealthy. And what I don't get is I'm seeing all the opposition to this, elected officials, Okay, I like that officials are the ones who make the laws. So uh, the NYPD and other police departments can't simply do as they please without any accountability whatsoever, or can they? Maybe something changed. I don't know. Um, but this kind of a move is not inevitable. This is a choice. And we're choosing not to do anything about it if we don't try and stop it. Now, they're spending $500 million on this new radio system that, they call more reliable and secure. Yeah, it's secure for people trying not to be accountable, that's for sure. Uh, but we won't be able to listen anymore. And, you know, a another group of people who are very upset by this are journalists, because that's how they find out what's going on and where. Um, and the cops say, well, you don't need to know that. We'll tell you when something's going on. It just sounds really, really fishy. Yeah, this has a huge implication for the timeliness of uh, spot news coverage and uh, good reporting, being on scene immediately, having uh, information about what what kind of hazards there are and how close you can get to the scene of something to actually capture activity that or ordinarily would just be written up in some report. That is critical, and it just insulates and puts a delay on people getting timely insights into the kinds of things that are going on in the world and, and in different cities and, and parts of the country. Yeah, um, police scanners and listening to police scanners, that has been such a valuable tool for journalists, uh, news photographers, videographers, uh, people to get instant uh, access to and information about uh, things that are happening in real time. And uh, the loss of that would be um, tragic. There, there was a... There was a note in this story um, about the about the issue in the New York Times that uh, says 
Um, ideas to increase transparency have been batted around, like a broadcast delay where sensitive information is redacted before being broadcast publicly, or a phone application that allows accredited reporters to listen in, perhaps in real time. And uh, so what they're trying to do is say, no, you still have access. We'll spoon feed you what we want to, to who we want to, rather than the public accountability that, that is uh, provided by an open police scanner system. Well, let's talk about the um, uh, the sensitive information that they wish to redact. What kind of information are we talking about? You know, when when the NYPD can decide that for themselves, then uh, I I can't imagine that uh, they would do anything untoward with uh, that sort of power over what people get to hear about what they're doing. No, not at all. Not what do they have to hide? Really? Well, I mean, that's that's what I'm asking. What what is it that they are saying that they they want to hide? I'm I'm reading here where. Uh, it's um, uh, names of witnesses, names of suspects, um, things like that. Okay, how do we how do we counter that? Uh, people who are reporting, do they actually read their first and last name out over the radio? I, I never actually heard that, but if they do, well, then that's something that um, would be publicly known anyway. Uh, if there's a police record, and if not, well, you know, there's other ways of communicating that information. They don't have to broadcast it. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is. Um, traffic of things that the police are saying to each other, to their uh, stations, and so on. They should be educated on what is appropriate to say or not over the airwaves. Um, we are, and, you know, we make radio. <laughs> there are things we can't say right now that uh, would get us in a lot of trouble, and we just don't say those things. Another more perhaps counterintuitive angle to this might be the false sense of security that the police then have uh, on a system like this, because think about it, if it's all of a sudden off limits, the access to it increases in value, in, in value and becomes desirable for outsiders and mm-hmm. so forth. So people are trading in stolen radios, whatever you can imagine, trying to break this system. And uh, it, I think, then puts them in more, at more risk than training to um, be on a public airwave that is being monitored. And it should be a public airwave. That's uh, that's absolutely what it should be because these are servants of the people, uh, and we have to determine if they are serving our needs and 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 be able to monitor what it is that they are doing. Now, uh, uh, the, the question of it being in real time or thirty minute delay. And I understand Chicago uh, is implementing a thirty minute delay. Um, I mean, that's that's less of an issue if people are able to hear everything that went over the radio. But now I'm hearing that they want to redact certain things. Well, what is it that they're redacting? And um, how do we know that that's, that's kosher, what they're redacting? Is it just people's names or is it um, behavior of officers or something that they say we're not allowed to know, but we don't even know what it is we're not allowed to know? Um, we've seen this abuse so many times in the past that it's very, very hard to just simply say, yeah, we're going to trust you to do the right thing here without any kind of oversight whatsoever. The question is, is it too late? Can anything be done about this? It seems like it's inevitable because uh, I'm reading this is happening all throughout the country in California. Uh, there actually was a law that uh, said this had to be done uh, to protect um, um, a, a 2020 state mandate uh, to protect the names of victims and witnesses uh, spoken over the airwaves. But again, this is something that's been going on for decades how come it's suddenly an issue right now when the technology exists to hide the communications from everybody? Just seems a little, a little strange. 
It does. And Mayor Adams uh, himself, a cop, uh, um, in July at a news conference, he said that the, he said that part of the reasoning behind this is that, quote, bad guys listen to the radios, too. And uh, he says, I have to make sure that bad guys don't continue to be one up on us. Well, bad so, guys can continue to listen to the radio. I mean, bad guys watch television. Bad guys read books. Bad guys do all kinds of things. The fact is, listening to the radio of cops uh, uh, talking about what they're doing, that's not something that was supposed to only be confined to people pure of heart. Right? So, um, so by defining it as something that's a security issue, well, what's next? You know, it's having, having uh, badge numbers displayed. Well, you could identify a cop with a badge number. That's a security issue. So cover those up. Maybe the, the license plates as well. So you won't know what car is responding. Well, you don't want to be able to identify a particular person. So, you know, for their safety, cover that up too. Before you know it, there's no information out there. And the modern NYPD is already struggling with the systems that are supposed to be in place for accountability. Um, the cops wear body cameras, but those recordings are, you know, mysteriously disappearing on a routine basis um, or held back from uh, public view um, just for whatever reasons. And, uh, you know, things like you do see cops at like protests and things with tape over their badge numbers. And the NYPD has long had this culture of, well, we're not accountable to anyone but ourselves, and according to ourselves, we're doing fine. And one of the tools we have to fight back against that is definitely something that they want to try and control. Isn't it funny how they have all the resources and all the technology and permission to record the, to, to record the public, but when it comes to body cameras recording their activities yeah. or people... Um, that might consider them being bad guys on these encrypted channels. You know, maybe they're the bad bad actors. And and to further insulate them, this kind of thing, without the kind of oversight we're talking about, will lead to even more bad behavior, or at least incentivize uh, the lack the behavior because there is a lack of consequences. So it's it's very funny to me how it's so. So easy to feel like robot dogs and all these, all these things they want to uh, watch and and uh, understand and 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 interpret and and um, analyze. That that's fine, but the slightest bit of scrutiny from the public uh, is is somehow an affront to their to their um, timid. Uh, 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 police sensibilities. I, you, you've got to give me a break. It's so silly to to expect people to take this seriously. It's not an argument. What I'm curious about, though, is when we do figure out the encryption and crack it, which we will do, and share the information with people, what kind of a crime is that going to be? Because basically what we're doing is just listening to the radio like we've been doing for decades, but it's going to be uh, deemed some kind of horrible uh, security breach that we're responsible for, so people will go to prison for listening to radios of cops. That's going to happen. That's the world we're, we're setting up. And, and P, I mean, if you push people in such a way that you're going to allow the, all of this in, in, in injustice, and so it's, it's going to push people to basically make these systems so costly that you can't implement it because once that's broken, well, you got to fix it, you got to change the scheme, you got to do this or do the the other thing, invest more money, and then that that system gets broken and it just turns into an arms race. Well, it's okay, we're paying the bill, so you right, know. they'll just keep 
keep <laughs> keep uh, passing the cost along, but it in itself will functionally be challenged if it if it's wielded in a way that abuses people. That's right. That's right. Hey, we're out of time. Oth at twenty six hundred dot com is our email address. Please write to us. Uh, please also support the radio station here at WBAI. Go to give to wbai.org, give the number to wbai.org, and pledge what you can to keep WBAI on the air. Remember to visit Tesla Science Center. Help those guys out. Um, TeslaScienceCenter.org. Help recover from the uh, the horrible fire that took place last week. Um, Rob, I believe there are meetings this, this Friday coming up. Yep, uh, 2,600 meetings are all over the world uh, this Friday. Check 2,600.com slash meetings to find one near you or start your own. Here in New York, we'll be at the Citigroup Center on 53rd and Lexington. All right. OTH at 2,600.com, email address again. And um, stay tuned. In about uh, eight minutes, we'll be on YouTube, channel 2,600 with overtime. You can follow the link that's on the 2,600.com webpage, or you can uh, simply go to channel 2,600 over on YouTube. We'll see you in two weeks here on WBAI. And stay tuned to 99.5 FM for all kinds of other thought-provoking programming. Good night. This is Ralph Pointer. 
Join me and others every Wednesday, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time on WBAI 99.5 on your radio.